Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. This has been a message, uh, we're going to move into the sermon. This has been a message I've had on my heart for a couple years. Um, I've been kind of rolling around in my head for a couple years. I didn't know what we're going to do with it, didn't know where it would fit. Uh, reality, it probably didn't fit anywhere. And so this is this one perfect Sunday that it kind of doesn't fit with Christmas, but it kind of doesn't fit with the new year. And so um, here we are. So I'm very excited about this. And I guess the only way to start is to ask you if you've ever heard of a desire path. You ever heard of a desire path? Desire path is basically a trail made by humans to bypass the official route that's been designed. And so like we have a photo here of a set of stairs that lead to a sidewalk, but you'll notice there's this nice brown patch where people are like, I'm not going to walk at a right angle way up there. I'm just going to get to where I need to go. Now, some people think of this as a shortcut. I would argue this is really people just telling us what's the best cut. There's the design, and then there's what people actually want to do. Somebody thought it would be fun to create some sort of Willy Wonka-style sidewalk, and everybody who had to work in that drab gray building said, why don't I just go to work straight? Over time, a desire path, which is what this line is called, that's not the design, but it's the user experience. Over time, a desire path gets worn into the fabric of the environment. It's not that different, if you think about it, from what's known as a game trail. If you've ever been in the woods, you've been on a hike, been in the bush in Africa, they're all the same. Um, There are these trails that cut through wilderness where animals have learned this is the safest path or the most direct path to water or a food source. They're just different kinds of pathways. Whether it's getting to a building most efficiently or getting to water most reliably, pathways get us somewhere we want to go. And over time, as these pathways are worn into the earth, we return to them over and over. It took somebody to get on that right side. It took somebody to do that first, and then someone else did it, and someone else did it, and then it just became a desire path, a path of choice. Because over time, pathways become familiar, and pathways become trusted, In Israel, you can see desire paths that are thousands of years old. This is a hillside in Israel, and those are actually desire paths cut by shepherds and their sheep. That the side of the hill is covered in these paths that over thousands of years, these Bedouin shepherds have led their, their flocks across the hillside, either towards better grazing land or water. Scripture is littered with references to these sorts of paths. Proverbs 2.20, Thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of righteous. Proverbs 4.18, The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. Proverbs 12.28, In the way of righteousness there is life. Along that path is immortality. The paths from this picture of Israel I showed you, those are called in their language. Those are referred to as paths of righteousness. Those aren't sheep paths. They're paths of righteousness. 
And so if a sheep, a shepherd is going to be going and separating from friends, family, whoever, and he's going to take his sheep to better grazing land, they'll tell him, take the paths of righteousness. And they're not being cute. They're saying, take the well-worn path that's been there for generations. That's what that's called. It's a path of righteousness. In Western minds, we think of this as a metaphor. This is something we go, oh, well, that's a neat metaphor. It's like an idea that sort of following God is sort of a pathway to better holiness or a better life. And so for us, pathways represent a metaphor. The problem with that is if it's conceptual in its ideation, then it becomes conceptual in practice. How you conceptualize it changes how you apply it. So if you just think it's an idea that you get to internalize, digest, and apply however you want, then that's where relativism relativism sneaks in because all of a sudden you are choosing what to make of the idea, this concept, high-minded, very uh, out there, and then you're going to do with it what you want. And all of a sudden we have people practicing all these different types of paths of righteousness that don't actually come from the scripture. They came from an idea of a metaphor, of an analogy, of a maybe that I took and I made my own, and then I take that with me into some other place. The Eastern mind that the Bible was written in, the Eastern mind says, these are literal pathways, dummy. This is how you walk. You have to walk this pathway to get safely from point A to point B. And all through scripture, there's these references to paths of righteousness, paths of righteousness, paths of righteousness. It's not a concept we mess with. It's simply a way we have to walk to apply truth to our lives. Every time we dedicate children around here, we uh, use the same verse. I bring the parents up here with their children, and then I quote Jeremiah 6. It says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where, ask where the good way is and then walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. That's my advice for parents. Don't live by the latest craze or fad. Don't parent to the modern age. There are pathways of wisdom and goodness, so find them and then walk in them for your parenting, for your marriage, for your finances, for your overall faith, what does it look like to look for the ancient paths, to find the paths of righteousness that have been well-worn over time? The scripturally profound, beautiful pathways to truth and life and hope and goodness, what does it mean to find those and then walk them? And so we're individualists, and so we take a concept and we individualize it, and then we walk with that, and we make our own path. We chart a new course. We lionize entrepreneurs. We lionize people who who do something new, who create a new thing, who invent a new way. We love that in our country. We love that in our culture. We love people who do something new. Someone who just walks an ancient path? Eh, anybody can do that. And yet what our culture reveals is that very few people can actually walk the ancient path. That doing a new thing is often much easier than following the old way that the Bible lays out. It's interesting, even an existentialist philosopher who believed that life had no meaning, Nietzsche, subscribed to this. He said, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction there thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. Because you can't live life for nothing. You can't live life towards nothing. You have to actually have a thing you follow, a path.
path you walk. Otherwise, what are you doing? A long obedience in the same direction, that's pathway language. Eugene Peterson, the pastor and author who paraphrased the Bible into the message, he grabbed that line and he said, it's actually, it's right, but it's about the wrong thing. He said, that's the discipleship journey, though. The long obedience in the same direction, that's how we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus by walking along obedience in the same direction, by finding the pathway and walking it. But he said, modern people are like religious tourists, in a way. Modern people are religious tourists. We like to check in on religion, maybe taste a few things, feel good about it, and then move on. And then the quote there on the screen He says, there's a great market for religious experience in our world, but there's little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. A long apprenticeship in holiness doesn't sound very exciting today. I don't know what you opened on Christmas morning, but if you opened a gift and you were expecting like AirPods, and it was a card that said, I'm inviting you to a long apprenticeship towards holiness. Ooh, ooh, boy. Thanks. Is there like a return that I can do? Is there a way to take this back? How do you do that? But that's pathways language. It's a long apprenticeship in the same direction, a long obedience in the same direction. It's learning over time to be set apart finding the ancient paths and walking in them slowly, day after day, that's where meaning and hope and faith become alive. And for you and I, we have to recognize that that is a pathway sort of life, and that whether we know it or not, we are creating our own pathways, that there are desire paths we are walking every day, and it's doing something in us. There's actually hard science that supports this. There's brain science that supports this. There's a book called Behave by Robert Sapolsky. There's the picture of the book. It's maybe one of the thickest books I've ever read, and I maybe understood 4% of it. This is one of these books that was dumbed down for like a broad audience, and I still had to read pages multiple times and just go, well, I don't know what that is. Let's just keep moving. Um, wild. What he says in this book is our wiring is really incredible, that we have synapses that connect neurons and they help us communicate. So there's this drawing here. A synapse is kind of like a bridge between two ideas in your brain. Synapse is what takes this impulse to actually becoming an action. Here's, I'm going to leave this up for a minute because I'm not going to make any sense of that because it still doesn't make total sense. But here's what it says. Long term, there's this thing called the potentiation of synapses, Okay. A persistent strengthening of a synapse based on recent patterns of activity or on patterns of synaptic bridge activity that produce long-lasting increases in signal transmissions between two neurons. What does any of that mean? This means that over time, as a synapse gets used more and more like a desire path that gets grooved into your brain, that it creates a deeper and deeper groove into your brain, and your brain actually becomes... um, The potentiation means you're actually more and more likely, the greater and greater potential is you're going to go down that same path again because it took you from impulse to reward and impulse to reward. 
And so as you do a thing, as you walk a path, you're more likely next time to walk that path again. So maybe the pathways where you've experienced success are deepened. Maybe you tell the right joke at the lunch table in fourth grade, and you're like, whoa, that felt like approval. So you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again. Then you become a preacher. Might be your story, might be mine. It has profound implications. These are pathways being created in you. You've been fearfully and wonderfully made, and God has you creating pathways. It applies to all your behavior. But for us, I deal with a lot of people that are like, how do I get out of my habitual sin? Whatever that is, gossip, pornography, impulsive shopping, whatever, it doesn't matter. There are chemical rewards dished out in those activities, pleasures and gratifications at the end of the rainbow of whatever it is you're doing or chasing. Every time you click, a rush of chemical gratification comes. One study showed that when people add something to their cart, like in Amazon, adding it to the cart is where the chemical reward shows up, not in clicking buy. And definitely not when it arrives at your house. By that time, you're already chasing the next high. The high is in putting it in the cart. Ooh, that felt good. So if you want to trick your brain, just add all the stuff to your cart and walk away. There's these chemical rewards that are dished out. And science says that um, your pleasure chemicals, dopamine being chief among them, your pleasure chemicals show up in anticipation of actually the, the real thing happening. So with anything you're doing, the signal is like the, I'm going to start doing the thing. The work is when it's been done and the reward shows up later. What it's saying is you get the rush as you smell the coffee brewing before you take the first sip. Studies show this. You get the the caffeine, that rush you get from caffeine, you start the rush before you've taken your first sip. When you smell the coffee, your brain goes, I know what's coming next. And the chemicals start to release. The alcoholic gets the rush, not at the first sip, but and something starts to tingle. You get the flood of happy chemicals before the runner crosses the line into the end zone. When he breaks free from the tacklers and it's nothing but green grass and an end zone in front of him, you don't wait stressed until he crosses the end zone to celebrate. The celebration starts as you see he's going to score. Whether it's prom night for a high schooler or date night for middle-aged parents, chemicals are coursing through the body in anticipation of what's to come. Why? Because the pathway is set. Your body knows what to expect. And having a pathway set, you know what's on the other side of the pathway. In other words, It's not about the reward, it's about the pursuit of the reward that has a chance of occurring. The result is that the pleasure or gratification that you have experienced in your life entices you into a new anticipatory season of that same experience. So anytime you've experienced this pleasure or gratification or success, you will want to walk that path again. Only, science also tells us, excitability declines over time. Requires more forceful stimuli. Anticipating stronger coffee or a second cup or a third cup or an eighth cup or a riskier website. We're chasing the same chemical high 
only with declining sensitivity, which becomes a problem, right? We're on pathways, and as those grooves get deeper, we're chasing the same highs with declining sensitivity. And we're seeking to replicate pleasure or gratification. We're then drawn into repeat behaviors. This is not to shame anybody. This is where we go. This is who we are. It's how we're made to be. We're made for pathways, but so many of us have chosen these pathways that aren't the ones that were laid out. They aren't the ancient paths. They aren't the paths of righteousness. They're paths chasing the next good feeling. Some of you have heard of John Christ, Christian comedian who was uh, living pretty loosely, shall we say. Got canceled when it came out that he was... um, dealing with alcohol and physical intimacy as his way to cope with his life's issues. He actually uh, wrote a book. He had a pretty profound insight when somebody asked him uh, if he judged people who were still into the kind of the promiscuous lifestyle he had left. And he said, whether it's that, alcohol, or anything else, that's that person's best tool that night to deal with the pain they're in. It's the best tool they have to get them to the next day. And so I'm not judging them for that tool. I just wish I could give them a better tool. For us, most of us are walking these pathways in life, and we have some we'd like to change. We have some areas we'd like to be better or different. And and this isn't to go, I got to be judged and condemned for the pathway I'm on, for this thing I'd like to make different. It's to say, that's apparently the best way I knew how to solve that problem right now, but it's not God's best for you. Like you've got chronic illness, so you shop a lot. Why? Why? Because if you feel like you're breaking down, it's only natural to want something new. Like, that would make sense. You got chronic loneliness, so you're chasing false intimacy or love online. That would make sense. You got unresolved trauma, so you medicate and escape with substances. That would make sense. These are our pathways to staying afloat for one more day. It's our pathway to make it to the next step so we can maybe try again tomorrow. And our problem is then we want to white knuckle through tomorrow and hope that maybe if I try harder, it'll be different. And yet what we know about potentiated synapses is you're going to walk that same pathway again. Unless you find a better tool. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in. Does that read differently to you today? He leads me in paths of righteousness. That's not not fancy language for a shepherd. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He leads me in paths of righteousness. No fear of evil. No shadow of death. Why? If you look at it that way, if you go, well, how do you not fear the evil? And how do you not worry about the shadow of death that you're walking through this valley? How, do you, how is all that happening? Because you're with the good shepherd and he's leading you on paths of righteousness. These are well-worn paths. We know that this leads to good things. We know that this is the good shepherd. We know that we're good here. And so this isn't like if you just had enough faith to trust the shepherd, then maybe just maybe you could feel like this too. This is once you're trusting the good shepherd, you have no choice but to feel this way because you're on the paths of righteousness that he set aside for you. Goodness and mercy follow. 
You've been invited to walk a good path, to follow the ancient road, to hold to the way of the shepherd, to pursue a long obedience in the same direction. It's why you were created and you're hardwired for it physiologically. As you walk the path of righteousness, it develops grooves within you. And in the same way your bad habits work, your good habits work. The same way you get yourself into trouble with a bad habit is the same way you get yourself out with a good habit. Because potentiated synapses work both ways. When you experience true joy or peace or patience or kindness or gentleness or self-control, when you experience God's goodness as the reward at the end of an activity, when you experience this true love, this true life, you get the chemical and I would even argue spiritual reward. You get that reward ah, that's the way it's supposed to be. So you walk it again, and the groove gets deeper, and the pathway becomes more sure. Whatever pathways you choose, they will be worn in, and your deeper grooves will become your life habits. The world offers endless pathways, and every year there's new pathways because last year's pathways, those are boring now. So let's get new ones. You're going to read a lot of articles or be offered to read a lot of articles in the days to come about six new ways to get fit or 12 ways to lose that holiday belly, whatever, or it doesn't matter. And they're all the same things they've always been, except they got to repackage them as new things. And this time there's an app for it, so you can't fail. The world offers desire paths that are opposed to the way of Jesus. So I drew a little thing for you. I'm a pretty good artist. I want you to see it. (laughs) Wisdom from the mouth of babes. Some of you laughed at my drawing, and then the smartest person in the room said, that looks great. And if that's not what they said, I don't care. That's what I choose to believe. <laughs> See, I also like the cross on there. See, we, we're, all the adults get out of here. We're just... <laughs> um, this is what, this is you, okay? That's you. You lost the holiday weight. Good job. You look very thin. Um, the world is offering you a lot of pathways that don't lead to life. And you can walk any of them you want. I drew them in the woods because we talked about the woods earlier. Just remember that. There's only one way that leads to true life. There's only one way. It's the way, the truth, and the life. It's, okay, so there's only one way that actually gets you where you're going. And yet the world offers no shortage of other opportunities for you to check them out. And the problems for us are that each of those paths, the longer we walk them, those become the those become the preferred paths or potentiated synapses. That's where I get my reward. All of our, our physiological world blends in with our spiritual world, blends with our behavioral world, and all of a sudden we're doing something we don't mean to do and we don't want to do, but we've been doing it this way for so long, that's what we keep doing. And what we have to see is that there are no shortage of options for how you live your life and where you walk your life. You're going to walk it out one way or another. You're going to walk it out following somebody's advice or somebody's wisdom or gospel truth. Most of the paths you're going to come across in your life do not lead to life. In finances, are you following pathways of greed or generosity? 
I didn't say wealth or poverty. I said greed or generosity. In sex and marriage, are your pathways of faithfulness or fleeting pleasure? In work, in leadership, in, friend, in friendship, pathways of sacrifice and selflessness, pathways centered on you. So what is the pathway we're looking for? How do we know what the path of righteousness looks like in our life? How do we find that, that Israeli hillside with the paths of righteousness in it? How do we find that in our modern world, in the internet? How do we find that in our life? It's not going to be in strategies and new hacks. It's not going to be in a resolution necessarily, but we'll see. John 14. Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me so that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Quite simply, Jesus says, I'm the pathway. I'm the pathway. That all of your other pathways, your strategies and your books and your seminars and your podcasts, whatever those are, if they're not rooted in Jesus and his truth, in his word, they will let you down. Those are not paths to life. Jesus says, I'm the path. If you keep your eyes on me, I'll give you safe, solid footholds. In Jesus, the upstream life is now safe and secure. In Jesus, the countercultural, counterintuitive way actually makes sense. In Jesus, we find life and fullness and hope beyond the trouble of the day. And here's the thing. It may not feel the fullness of safety and security. It may not feel like the fullness of love and hope and joy on day one. But you got to walk that path again and again and again and again and again. You got to walk the groove into that path so that by day 40 or 400 or 4,000, you go, that's the path and I know it's sure. I know it's true. I know it's good. What we want in our culture is instant fix. We want to wake up tomorrow and feel better than we did today. We want to have the surgery, and now it's better. Everything's better. I'm better. You're better. I'm better. Are you better? I'm better. That's what we want. Is it better? What iPhone do you have? There's a better one. We want the better one, and we want it now. We want it now. We want it yesterday. And everything you read in the Bible is the ancient paths require a now decision, but a lifetime of apprenticeship towards holiness, a long obedience in the same direction for the fullness of the benefits to be internalized. Because choosing against the thing that's given you reward for decades and choosing towards Jesus with a new decision tomorrow, that's probably not going to feel, feel good chemically for you on day one. You're going to go, I missed the reward I got from the thing I used to do, think, see, click, buy, whatever. But on day two and on day 12 and year six, 
as that path starts to get deeper, as that groove starts to get worn in, all of a sudden we start to realize that the true life we've been aiming for over here wasn't there at all. It's been over here the whole time, and now we know it. Now we found it. And that's why you sometimes feel a little crazy when you're trying to explain Jesus to somebody who doesn't know Jesus yet. You got to go, just trust me. It's different. And they go, okay, well, I believe. I don't feel different. You go, it's not that. It is that, but it's not just that. It's a lifetime of that, and over time, it changes everything. So I would say in the days ahead, you do actually have a choice. The questions we would ask today is, where are you walking a path that you need to turn from? Where are you walking one of those paths that lands on an X instead of on the cross? Where has your way departed from the Jesus way? And then do you recognize that there's no better day than today to turn back? To relieve your burdened conscience, to soften a hardened heart, or to know rest for a weary soul. I told you I'd been thinking about this message for years. I've been trying to figure out what it all means and working it out in my brain. And I didn't actually think we'd actually do it on New Year's Eve. That was never the idea. But it turns out that's kind of the perfect day to do it. Because New Year's in our culture, for whatever reason, today is Sunday, tomorrow is Monday. It's not different. But in our culture, it provides an opportunity. New Year's always presents itself as a crossroads for us. X percent of you are going to make resolutions. Some percentage of that percentage will actually stick. Most of you will say you were going to and then you didn't or made one but didn't actually want to make it and then you didn't do it at all. That's okay. But there's a reason we look at this day differently. It just culturally is different for us. It's a crossroads day. It's a day where we can have an opportunity to make a change in our life and say, starting tomorrow, it's going to stick for me. So I don't do resolutions, just so you know. I don't like them. I think they're dumb. I don't think you're dumb if you like them. They don't work for me because I know that tomorrow's Monday and I should have done it yesterday if I really wanted to do it. I actually think this is the perfect thing to make a resolution about. Because tomorrow's Monday and why not start? Because your life was designed for pathways of life and hope and righteousness because you were designed to walk the pathways of righteousness. That the good shepherd created you to draw you into pathways of beauty and hope and fullness. And the thing you long for more than anything else, that deepest part of you will never be satisfied short of life with Jesus. And so what is the area of your life that is still a holdout? What is the area of your life that is still not submitted? What is the area of your life that's still not surrendered? What's the area of your life that is just not satisfying? And I would say, look and see what pathways are there. And then look to find something fresh and new. Look for the pathways of life and hope. Look for the one that will lead you to rest for a weary soul. Look to his word. And that's where we'll finish. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and then walk in it. 
and you'll find what you've been looking for all along. You'll find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are uh, people of habit. We're here on a Sunday because we're always here on Sunday. We make resolutions and we stay up late because that's what we do. Father, as a people of habit, a people of tradition, a people hardwired to uh, repeat our behaviors and chase reward the same way over and over. Lord, my heart for our community this year is that we would learn to walk paths of righteousness. We would seek out something better. We would be dissatisfied with what we've been into. God, I pray for each heart in this room. I don't want to be too universal about it. I want to pray for each individual. Father, you know the struggle that each of us bring. You know the thing that we're struggling with. You know the the problem we can't seem to get out from under. Lord, you know the battle that we're in. Father, I pray that you would provide uh, clarity for each of us of what the next step is on the path of righteousness in that area. Whether it be a radical change or a minor shift that no one will ever notice, God, I pray that you would give us each one of us, you would give us the courage and the strength to take that next step in you, to take that next step towards you in obedience to you. Remind us that nothing less than you will ever satisfy, that nothing less than you leads to life. So Father, convict us in the most gracious of ways by drawing us into your presence. God, draw us into your goodness, draw us into your rest that the year to come we'll look at each other and it will be our best year ever because it'll be the year we're most closely walking the paths you've given us. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the way. We lift this prayer up in his saving name. Amen.